Proudly coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Frontier Podcast. I'm your host, Ledge, and we are powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes and join the conversation at the Frontier Pod on Twitter. Giddy up! Lisa Reeves, it is great to have you on the Frontier. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here today. So I, I could read off your, you know, sort of canned bio off LinkedIn and, and whatnot, but, you know, I try not to do that. I would love if you would tell your story so the audience can get to know you. Sure, absolutely. So um, I think uh, when I think back over my career, you know, it's really summed up with uh, I've been an operator, I've been an investor, and I've been an entrepreneur. And uh, I definitely have a lot of years of experience, so I was able to fit all three of those in. I started originally as one of the first employees at SAP in North America. I think now they have maybe over 80,000 employees, and I was employee 1,740. Literally, the days when you were on the phone with the developers in Germany, it was like you know brand new in North America. And had a wonderful career there over 14 years on the operational side, starting as a consultant and moving through a whole series of roles. It was a tremendous opportunity because I was, you know, trying, it, it was, now it's a very large company, but I was really given the opportunity to try out a number of different um, functional areas. And ultimately, the last five years I was there, I managed their venture fund. So they had a corporate venture fund uh, investing off the balance sheet. And it was actually during that time that we relocated to Germany for a period of time, uh, SAP's base there. So never in my wildest dreams did I think I would become a VC. I sort of just fell into that. But it uh, gave me a really interesting view of the market after being inside of a large enterprise software company. So ran that fund for five years. And then I um, then joined a small fund. I was a general partner of an $80 million fund based in Boulder, Colorado, which is where I live. And we invested in early stage tech. So small investments. And the other thing was that was a majority woman-owned fund. And this would have been in the time frame of like 2007, 8, 9, 10. And that was pretty unusual for a, yeah, for a majority uh, woman-owned fund. And did that for a period of time. And then I went back into an operating role. So this is sort of, you know, the, my path was not straight. You know, it was definitely sideways and zigs and zags. Um, so moved back into an operating role and I joined Citrix, uh, the big uh, virtualization company. But they had a fast growing division. They owned all of the go-to products, go to meeting, go to my PC. Yeah. So I was GM of one of the divisions, go to my PC. And unlike all of my other uh, roles that I had had in my career, this was actually a very mature legacy product that I was Mm -hmm. responsible for. So full P&L did that for a number of years, very different from the other things I had done around innovation, uh, my previous experiences. And after a few years at Citrix and commuting, the whole time from Colorado to Santa Barbara. Um, Then I got together with two guys based in Boulder, two Oracle guys, and we started a a company called Gridcraft. It was a data analytics company, and I was the only non-tech person, the only non-engineer. So I was the CEO and co-founder, which basically means you go to Costco to get the snacks and you raise money. (laughs) And... (laughs) 
did that for a few years. And then uh, we sold the company to Workday, the big enterprise HCM cloud-based company. Spent two years there. And when I was at Workday, it was a wonderful experience. I knew a ton about enterprise tech, but not really HCM. So I moved into that whole area of human capital management, HR software, basically. And uh, after two years there, then I joined Zenefits, which is where I am right now. I'm uh, SVP of product at Zenefits, which is a uh, HCM company focused on the SMB market, small, medium business market, and the mid market. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are, are familiar with, with Zenefits. And so, yeah, I mean, those big arcs, right? You know, I mean, you were able to, I'm curious what areas of your experiences, let's say in those three buckets, you know, on, entrepreneur, operator, investor, you know, uh, I don't know, draw the picture of how those things taught you things that maybe made you successful in the other ones. Because I think that, that the broad experiences are really that you can take with, with you, the, the common center of the Venn diagram, if you will, you know, that's probably what, what led to a lot of successes kind of in the other seats. So, I mean, what does that look like? Absolutely. I mean, there's so, that, that's such a like loaded question. There's so many ways to take that. So, you know, I became an entrepreneur, a company founder at a pretty late stage of my life. And so it was fascinating to go out um, and we raised, uh, we basically seeded the company ourselves. And that's because I had been an investor. So I knew how the cap table worked. I was very clear right. on how to, um, we should structure the deal among the co-founders and also had a pretty clear vision around how you build a team. Because if you're an investor, that's like a number one thing. What's the team? And then when we raised a seed round, I had a tremendous amount of knowledge around, you know, term sheets, points of negotiation, ownership, clarity around cap right. table and that stuff. If you're a first time founder, that can get hairy. And uh, and retrospect, especially exiting the company, or, you know, it really paid paid off for us and our employees in a number of ways, not just financially, but a number of ways in terms of keeping, you know, building the company, keeping it inside of Workday. So that's one example. And then another um, example was when I was on, you know, a VC and actually investing. Well, I had been an operator, you know, for a number of years, and I think. You look at a lot of the VCs now, and it's a generational shift, obviously, and there's a lot more diversity in venture. But just the fact that you have those operating chops, I think it gives you a whole new perspective and point of view when you're evaluating investments. And it certainly helps with connections and deal flow as well. Yeah. And you you made mention off mic about uh, networking and, and sort of being the, the connector and uh, what a difference that has made in your career, you know, just working with people again, you know, 20 years later, coming back to initial connections. And I'd, I'd love if you would tell that story. I think particularly as technical professionals, it's, it's easy sometimes, even in, in a market like this, that, you know, just not putting in the human time, you know, to, to do those things for your career that don't matter. And I, I think that that story would be really valuable for the audience. Sure. Um, so yeah, we had talked off mic a little bit. The way I ended up at Zenefits was that I actually had worked with Jay Fulcher, who is the CEO at Zenefits, uh, like 20 years ago at SAP when he was the hotshot sales guy and I was the demo person. I did all the sales demos and scripting, et cetera. And so it was just so fortuitous 
you know, to end up back with Jake, because he's probably one of now, you know, 20 years later, one of the best CEOs, he's had a number of exits, really knows how to build culture, which is a special thing, you know, in uh, Silicon Valley. But um, my point of view has always been, and maybe it's because I have worked in Silicon Valley for a long period of time, but I've lived in Boulder, Colorado since the late 80s. So and I think maybe even the geography sort of influenced how I think about it. In Colorado, it's super collaborative. We talk about give before you get. And when you talk about like relationships and connections, uh, it's really important to us to kind of lift up the state, lift up everyone. And so you find that mentality, I think, with a lot of the folks kind of in the Boulder, Denver region. And certainly for me, it's paid off career-wise because in tech, you know, so many of the enterprise software companies back in the day, like the PeopleSofts and the SAPs, a number of those people then sort of spin off into other startups. And I think if you can maintain those connections and uh, reach out and pass on, you know, referrals and ideas and stuff like that, it really does pay off. And don't do it because you're looking for something in return, you know, step into a kind of you know, transparently and full of heart, you know, uh, on those connections. I really believe that it does pay off and I've certainly seen it in my career. Sure. Sure. That taking that extra time and effort to carve out that give, because that doesn't come naturally. You need to invest your time and energy into that, you know, to find the opportunities even to do that and to be aware of what someone else might find valuable for, for information. And, and that can be as easy as, you know, I, I like this podcast or, Hey, you should follow such and such on Twitter or how, how are you, how are you doing? You know, I, I read this article and I thought about that work we used to do together. And uh, it's easy to skip that step that can make a huge difference. I've, I have a story of that myself that, you know, a, a guy ended up investing in one of my first startups that I sat next to for a couple of weeks at my first job. And he just said, Hey, dude, I thought you were a straight shooter. I came into some money, wanted to see what you were up to. And I love that. How opportune is that, right? That doesn't happen. That's actually, that reminds me um, when we raised our seed round at Gridcraft, which was my startup in Boulder, uh, same sort of thing. Two guys out to lunch and like over lunch, next thing you know, I get an email when I got back to my office that they wanted to put in a couple hundred thousand dollars. It's just like you never know uh, what's going to happen. So. I totally agree with you. How does that fit into, I mean, you have a pretty, you know, sort of set of high profile jobs and you got a lot to do and, you know, you're running important parts of companies. I mean, where do you, how do you budget now those things? I mean, maybe it's easier. You get a little more flexibility, but you said you're, you know, you're traveling back and forth between two states. You know, that's just a lot of stuff. Where does the, the give and the networking fit so that you don't, push it to the back burner by accident? Um, luckily, I don't need a lot of sleep. So that works. And so I just, I try to work it in, you know, on the edges um, of what I do sort of day in and day out. Even with my own team here at Zenefits, we talk a lot about personal brand, you know, and like, how do you want to build your brand? How do you want to be viewed? Um, how do you want to share information? I think for especially a lot of people that are in, entering the workforce, um, you know, early in their careers, I think there's a lot of sort of mentoring about how you manage that, how you think about that. I certainly know on our team, there's a lot of interest around doing that. And I try to, um, if, a, if I see a panel or I see a conference or a speaking opportunity that might work for one of the folks on my team, 
I'm super proactive about, hey, have you checked this out? Why don't we think about, you know, an opportunity to get you involved in this roundtable, meet these people? And I think you're exactly right because everyone, their jobs are so full. Time is so precious. You're focused on your core job, you know gosh, do I really want to have to push that off to tomorrow because I'm going to go do this connection, go to this event. But I think it's really important in terms of building out, you know, your total um, package, you know, you, your personal brand. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's wonderful to hear that you would be the kind of leader that would make that happen because that's simply critical. And uh, I'm sure that that accrues value uh, in many different ways, including to the brand of the company and and the culture of the company. Uh, but again, it takes that uh, focus from the, the leadership. And you just simply have to be dedicated to that because it's also a tremendous investment. It would be easy to say that, look, every time I pull my product leads or my engineers off the front line, we are not pushing code. We're not pushing product. You know, And sales is going to be mad that we didn't launch X, Y, or Z. And so, I mean, it really trickles down and it must be part of the culture because somebody who's planning a scrum plan, you know, or, or a, a roadmap needs to know that an extra week is going to slide in there somewhere because you're at conferences speaking. Yeah. But, uh, and, and we sort of, um, we factor that in when we're thinking about our, our planning, we're looking at this quarter, we're looking at next quarter, because I think there's also having kind of that outside in point of view, being out in the environment, being out in the market, meeting more people, meeting more customers. Uh, as we bring that back, we make a, you know, a bigger, better, richer product, better experience, better design. And that's really our philosophy. What are the, I don't know, user experience or, or product mindsets of a, a, a product like yours that, you know, it's, it's, it's an enterprise piece of software. It does a lot of things. It touches a lot of places. Users experience it in totally different ways. What are some of the methods that you would then use to sort that out? You know, a hundred thousand users have a hundred thousand opinions and you need to make a product that, you know, at least on average pleases a lot of them. That's, that's right. And, and they have, I mean, there's different personas, there's different users, you know, so we basically make human capital management software. We have three key pillars, kind of the core HR capabilities, like you hire someone, you fire someone, you recruit someone, um, and that data is kind of held in the employee system of record. And then off of that, we pay them. And we also provide benefits. So there's a lot of cool, innovative stuff in and around that, around analytics and, you know, partnering, for example. But at its core, like payroll just needs to work, you know, like right. don't, you know, <laughs> there's cool stuff. It's a critical business system, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just needs to work. And there's cool stuff you can do around like tuition reimbursement and pay stubs and all that kind of stuff. But at its core, you got a tax engine, you got, you know, you got rules associated with with that just make it work and um, that's very different let's say than the people who are over like onboarding and doing stuff with new employees and oh that's kind of cool you know like around collaboration and really cool and innovative things and then in the area of benefits well that's got to work but just the environment we're in right now it's really there's some exciting cool things that are going on in the area of uh, benefits and especially when you start to think about things like wellness and what does that mean and you know, so 
so when we think about building products, you know, we are an all-in-one platform, so it is integrated. Um, there's key capabilities that just have to work no matter what, but we're very focused um, around kind of like, you know, disrupting and, and thinking about the market, who's entering the market, who's managing these people, what can we do on mobile, anything, any of the workflows that we can put on mobile, we put on mobile. And we put them on mobile when it makes sense, you know? So like some of it's exception, but some of it's like you're hiring someone and it's all done on mobile or the org chart. It's beautiful. You know, vis visualization's fantastic. And we also think a lot about employee engagement. So you've got, you know, you're providing a service HR out to your company, but so employees are engaging, right? Performance reviews, um, pulse surveys, things like that. But ultimately, you know, our customer is very much the administrator in the HR organization. And then we also have, you know, on the finance, we also have users in the finance organization too, because there's the, you know, finance for many companies, the comp uh, the employees is the largest, you know, expense line associated on financials. So there's a lot of reporting as well. So for us, um, we get a lot of feedback externally. We, we run a really rich community online. We also have a customer advisory board. We also do a lot of customer research. And in my product team, we have design, you know, research and products. So it's great. It's kind of the entire flow. You know, it's easy for us to... Let me ask, ask all the softballs and all the things that are they're great, you know, and so you've seen a lot of stuff, you know, so I wonder like classic speed bumps that maybe at this, maybe at Zenefits, maybe at other, other companies, but you know, stuff you go, wow, I wish I knew X then because I wouldn't have done the thing that I did. You know, the best learning comes from, you know, sort of hitting the wall at uh, too fast. And I wonder what some of your favorite, you know, uh, success through failure stories are. Yeah. So it's really funny. Um, that's a great question. And I, sometimes when we're interviewing uh, candidates, they come in, especially if they're from a larger company, a larger enterprise software company, and they're always very uh, inquisitive and curious about like, what did we kill? What did we get out there and then have to kill and wasn't used? And maybe it's just a reflection of being in this market and being, you know, kind of a startup. Honestly, there's nothing we put out there that is not used and not needed. I've never worked in this type of an environment, you know, like nothing really goes on the shelf. There's some things we could get more adoption on, but it's like, we know what we have to do and the product is just getting it on the roadmap. So, right. yeah. So I think, uh, I feel really good about that. I think definitely some speed bumps that we've hit is around sequencing, like releasing features and sort of the sequencing. And we spend a lot of time with our internal stakeholders and obviously sales, you know, is one of our <laughs> major stakeholders. And, you know, it's just, it's always tough, man, when you want to close like this big deal and like how many you other just need that thing, one thing, <laughs> just, if you just had that, I would get this deal. That's exactly right. And so I think maybe some of the missteps we've had um, around like sequencing, because we wanted to give them that one more thing, you know, just should have maybe I should have held, you know, more feet to the fire on that. You probably you need to sell, say no to sales a lot. I, <laughs> I being being mostly in the sales seat, I can tell you that, uh, you know, sometimes we might overestimate what how much difference that one feature will make in that, in that I, sale. But <laughs> we are we are driven animals and we kind of just you know get out there and hunt stuff so whatever it takes right stick right. another weapon in the quiver i'm i'm i love working with those guys but boy they give me a run for my money <laughs> absolutely i mean you've been 
CEO, founder, you know, certainly you've been also in that role. I mean, you mentioned operator, but I'm going to guess that you were chief sales officer by default in a, at least in your own startup. So uh, how does that flow up the chain? You don't identify that way, but most certainly you did all the end customer sales as well as the sale of the company. So, you know, where do you carry that in, in the history? Because you don't tell the story that way. I don't tell the story that way, but you know what? It goes all the way back to SAP. That's always been my, uh, I mean, I've always been tightly aligned with sales. And, and yeah, when you start a company, you are the chief sales officer and you are the chief everything else. But Chief janitor, right? <laughs> a snack buyer, like mm-hmm. everything. And I think um, it's one thing I love about Zenefits um, it's very, you know, it, it's a natural role for me. You know, we're, we're the size, we have enough employees where we have enough um, kind of persistence and, you know, mass, but you still have a tremendous opportunity to make a difference. And uh, Jay Fulcher, the CEO, came from the sales side as well, the sales organization. So he and I, um, and many, many others here, very, very focused around kind of sales, the voice of the customer, and kind of using that across our culture and building that in. So it's something I really enjoy. I go out on lots of um, visits. I'm the executive sponsor, you know, for a lot of our larger strategic customers, and we just love bringing them in. So yeah, it's definitely been a thread through my career and really served me well. And that, uh, so I'll I'll kind of wrap around this one, but that particular thing is a terrifying seat sometimes for a career technologist and, and they don't speak that language. Uh, you know, and I, I'm curious what your advice would be, um, uh, to, you know, sort of do some professional development and become conversive in, in that thing. I think it's gotten a lot better that, you know, they used to be that you would remove sort of the, the technological doers far from the customer, right. And early in my career, it was, it was that way that, you'd never talk to the customer. And now we do a better job of integrating and, and really bringing to the forefront and the product function is huge for that. You know, that didn't really exist 20 years ago. Uh, but, you know, just as a finishing thought, sales seems like a hard thing. You're either kind of born or you're not, or, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it just appears that way to the technologist. And I'm curious what your advice would be to the, the technology minded folks to level up that game there. Cause it, it's so valuable for their career. Well, it's so valuable for their career. And it's also so valuable for the account executives and our sales executives. So we definitely bring in our engineering uh, organization into particular sales calls or other kind of uh, customer success, you know, CSM calls, um, because it's great for the customer to have that one-on-one interaction and to kind of support the sales cycle. And it's wonderful for our engineers to hear that. The other thing we do is uh, there's a great product that we use called Gong.io that records sales calls. And so uh, we then take that back to both our product and our engineering organization. And it's a super easy tool where you can say, hey, from four minute, you know, four minute, 30 seconds to eight minutes or whatever, check out what they were saying about international. And it's, it's, our sales team is great in providing feedback. We have lots of product feedback tools from the sales cycle uh, and we measure and instrument a lot of this stuff, but it's so wonderful 
if you can't be there in person to hear it on a call. And it's super, mm -hmm. it's super instructive. And certainly on the product side, when we bring together um, our customers, we always have, depending on the topic, we always have engineers involved as well. So I think for a lot of the technical folks out there, you know, partner up on the product side and, you know, hopefully on your, in, at least here at Zenefits on our sales side, they definitely call on the engineers. In fact, we have to protect that, you know, because we've got to get product out. They'd be, <laughs> they're at the door all the time if they could, talking about everything. All the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> we will find the quickest way to get around you so that we can, can talk to the engineer and buy them lunch and say, you know, if you build my thing, you know, just saying. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You have to watch out for those sales guys. I agree. <laughs> okay. Lisa, uh, fantastic story. You know, so, so great to have you. I know there's a million things we could talk about so maybe we'll have to do round two someday but i really appreciate your insights and and thanks for for coming on good luck with the continued development of zenefits great thanks a lot i really appreciate the opportunity to uh, speak today thanks for listening to the frontier podcast produced by gun.io we're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.